When it comes to counseling, we tend to think that it needs a professional's touch. And while that might be the case once in a while, if you are indeed a Christian, you have the professional's touch when it comes to biblical counseling, as we'll see next on Graceful Truth. Join us. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Greetings in Christ and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. We're in the middle of our series simply entitled Wisdom for Living. And today we're focusing our attention on this issue of counseling. And we're going through the book of Proverbs currently. And that is the wisdom we're focusing on. And here in chapter 15, verse 22, we're confronted with what it means to be a counselor and the fact that if you are indeed in Christ, you are capable of counseling for the most part. So we'll begin today by taking a look at what it means to be a counselor. What does this word counseling mean? And we'll go on to a working definition and what are the specific benefits yielded by counseling and the ingredients that make some counselors more effective than others. It's all straight ahead on today's edition of Graceful Truth. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast. Today, we're in uh, the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at you and your counseling. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a counselor. Well, I, hopefully by the end of our message today, you'll realize that as a believer, you are a counselor. And you have the ability to give people biblical counsel. But to many people, counseling is considered a profession, you might say. A skill to be practiced only by trained counselors. And that's partly true, for there's those who have been schooled and trained and they know how to untie the emotional and mental knots that sometimes cause us to struggle in life and cause maybe confusion in our lives. In some cases, actually, a professional is a lot better person to seek out because there's certain issues. Sometimes there's physical issues involved. But there is, however, a much broader base for counseling. Members of God's family, believers, are often competent and are called to and are expected to counsel one another. And, of course, some are more effective than others. Right? Well, I got this little clip from online. I just want, to watch, I want you to watch this this morning because this is probably not the best counseling therapy session that you'll run into. Go ahead. And that's why yellow makes me sad, I think. That's interesting. You know what makes me sad? You do! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Tissue? Cry, baby. But, you know, that's probably, you look at that, I mean, I look at that and I kind of relate to that. And really, it comes down to an issue of psychology versus biblical counseling. And I hopefully, this morning will be a, a practical application for you that you'll understand that there is a difference between psychology and biblical counseling. A big difference. Psychology approaches human behavior from a secular, humanistic perspective. If you've ever had a, a class in psychology or anything like that, that's where they're coming from. Biblical revelation is irrelevant in their minds to understanding or changing human behavior. They would laugh at that. Psychology seeks to distribute and to kind of describe and to explain human behavior apart from what God has clearly defined. Its premises are derived from mostly man-made theories, human wisdom, research conducted 
without a corresponding search for truth as God defines truth. The end result is a field of study, really, that has yielded hundreds of conflicting theories, constantly changing hypotheses, and just a, a, a bundle of widely opposing experts who disagree from one school of thought to the next. If you've ever gone to that kind of a counselor, you know what I'm talking about. You go to see one, they tell you one thing. You go to see another, they tell you something totally different. In that field of study, it really produces an endless therapy with little lasting help. It is satisfied to control rather than, this is psychology, satisfied to control rather than conquer destructive behavior and mitigate rather than eliminate its devastating effects. Now, you say, okay, that's psychology. Does that mean it's bad? Well, it has its place. But when you're talking about biblical counseling, it's different than psychology. Biblical counseling is exactly the opposite, really. Whereas secular psychology begins with the study of man's ideas, biblical counseling begins with the study of what? God's Word. And as it relates to the human behavior and the human need, it's dependent upon the revealed mind of God rather than the easily deceived mind of man. Yet it does not just begin with God. It follows a path that is in constant harmony with the Word of God. And it addresses man's problems in light of God's answers, not man's. God's truth is the focal point of biblical counseling because it is God's truth when it's obeyed that enables believers to know the truth that sets them free. That's what he said in John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? What's it say? Set you free. See, the desired end of biblical counseling is a life filled with God's goodness and good outcome of spiritual maturity which includes not only wisdom and understanding, but the character qualities of genuine love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, humility, temperance, self-control. See, if you think that you can solve a person's problem without the help or without even the enlightenment of God's Word, that's really a foolish thing to think. It's kind of thinking that you can somehow fix your automobile by consulting a chef and reading a cookbook. That wouldn't work. The chef might know how to cook and the cookbook might have some great recipes and great information about how to prepare food, but they're not going to tell you anything about the mechanical complexities of your car, much less how to fix it. For that, you need to consult an owner's manual who was written by the car manufacturer that knew how the car was put together, knew where each wire went, what switch did what, and you need to enlist the help of a good car mechanic who's good at and experienced at fixing cars. Well, we know that the Bible is our owner's manual as believers. Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what it stands for. That's what God has left us here with. He wants us to consult it. He wants us to go dive into it to see what wisdom we can glean in our life, for our life. It contains everything one needs to know about God in order to trust and believe in him. And every one needs to know about life on earth and human nature in order to live a happy and fulfilled life, free from those things that enslave human beings and steal their joy. Things like anger, things like fear, things like worry and hatred and guilt, greed, sexual immorality. If you look over at first, Second Peter real quick in the New Testament, Second Peter chapter 1, says there, Second Peter chapter 1, look at verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given us, believers, 
All things, it says. Not some things, not most things. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or the moral decay that is in the world through lust, desiring that which is forbidden by God. That's how I would define lust, desiring something that is forbidden by God. So we see that in God, in Christ, he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We don't need to go outside that circle. It's all right there for us. Christ is sufficient for our every need. God's word is sufficient for our every need. Well, what is biblical counseling? What is biblical counseling? Well, first of all, biblical counseling is not beating people over the head with the Bible. <laughs> that's not what biblical counseling is. Sometimes you kind of want to do that, <laughs> but that's probably not most effective. Nor is it saying, you know what? Take two verses and call me in the morning. It's not that either. It's not that simple. It's not a one problem, one verse, one quick solution kind of a deal. That's not what biblical counseling is. And I trust that today, as we look at the book of Proverbs as our guide, we're going to examine in the Old Testament some references. It actually references counseling in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Deuteronomy, several books actually. And we're going to look at what, what is meant by counseling in the Old Testament. So let's get our Bibles ready and First scripture I want to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 19. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 19. What is meant by, quote, counseling in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. It says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, that term there, talking about them or teaching them, talking of them when you sit down, that, that word talking there really is used of a normal everyday conversation. Something you'd have at work, something you'd have in your house. Over-the-table conversation. And it comes from a root that has to deal with counsel. You're talking to somebody. Counsel, first of all, you, you have to have communication. Not all counseling is formal. Not all counseling is you go in, you lay down on a couch, and okay, <laughs> tell me your problems. Casual conversation with individuals is often a superb basis for counsel. To offer someone counsel. Just talking to them. Being available to them. Second scripture, Proverbs 15.22, says there in Proverbs 15.22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many, what, counselors, it says, they succeed. This term is a, a bit heavier meaning than the previous word in the Old Testament. It has the idea of conversing in a friendly, yet kind of a confidential manner. This kind of counseling is, is less casual, and it's marked by maybe privacy or confidentiality. Another place we find the idea of the word counsel is in Psalm 64.2. Psalm 64.2, psalmist writes, Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers. Now, if you put that in the context, David was asking God to deliver him from the evil counselors who were to be kind of coming against him. And though the term here is used in a negative sense, it's interesting because in the language it can be used both in a negative and positive way. It can reflect both negative and positive results. But this kind of counsel was involved and it's often painful. On the surface, sometimes this kind of counsel may even seem to be a mistake. 
But in the end, it usually can be proven to be extremely beneficial. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It says there, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. You want to be a person of understanding? Well, then acquire wise counsel. That term means to bind or to pledge. It's never used in the verb form, but it has the idea of attaching a rope to an animal and pulling it along in, in the direction that you're going. And counseling sometimes is kind of like that. It involves giving specific direction to correct the area of the wrong. Next one there, Proverbs 12, 2, or 12, 20, excuse me, 12, 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. The Hebrew word here means to give advice. See, many people today adhere to this form of counseling. In the secular world, a lot of people basically adhere to a form of counseling, which means you, you, you simply listen. That's all you do. You, they come in, they sit on the couch. Well, what's going on? And then you unload everything for an hour, and then the buzzer goes off and you leave. <laughs> to somebody to listen. The counselor is expected to remain neutral, and they don't impose any thoughts at all concerning the issues or problems. They don't make any judgment calls. But you know what? As I look at Scripture, that kind of counseling is not supported from Scripture. I mean, it may serve as a basis or a foundation to get a little deeper with somebody, but we're not just to hear somebody's problems and then send them away. That's not what we're called to do as biblical counselors. Well, what's a working definition of biblical counseling? I think you got it there in your notes. Communicating with someone for the purpose of clarifying, instructing, or changing areas in need of attention in his or her life. And here's the definition I came up. Biblical counseling is Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered communication which results in loving and practical application of biblical truths with the goal of spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. I know that's a big definition, but I don't know how else to tell you what it is because that's exactly what it is. It's Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered, which is important to understand, communication. And it results in a loving and practical application of biblical truths with the goal. There's a goal in mind. You don't just send the person away. There's a goal of spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. And that kind of counseling can only be based on the inerrancy and the authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God. Uh, to safeguard against any kind of misguided or maybe unbalanced practices of counseling, which may mistakenly be, be labeled biblical, Everybody today is, quote, oh, a biblical counselor or Christian counseling. You have to define your terms. It's like somebody saying, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what do you mean by that? And so some standards of practice are necessary to encourage excellence and to provide some measure of trustworthiness for general reference and referral. So that's the definition of counseling. Well, what are some specific benefits in biblical counseling, in the counseling that we're interested in? There's many benefits of counseling. And there's many mentioned throughout the Old Testament, but we're just going to kind of limit ourselves to the book of Proverbs. And there's a lot of verses in here, and we're not going to cover each one just because time's sake. That's why I put them in there for you. Hopefully you can look them up later. Some of the benefits, first of all, some of the benefits to biblical counseling, first of all, is to help heal and re relieve anxiety. How many people are anxious today? How many people need healing I'm just talking physical healing. I'm talking emotional healing. I'm talking spiritual healing. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 25, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. See, sometimes to be a counselor, all you got to do is pull somebody aside and just say something positive to them. Say something nice to them. And don't make it up. You know, I mean, we can find something good in everybody, right? Be sincere. Part of being human is that we all have hurts in our lives. We're bothered by failures maybe that we've gone through. 
And counseling is kind of like someone coming along and putting a salve or a balm on that, on that wound, that open sore. And when they say the right thing, boy, it just soothes it. It helps to bring about that healing and that repair, help healing and relieve anxiety. Secondly, to help one find maximum fulfillment. Now, that sounds real kind of weird kind of a statement. But look at, in Proverbs eleven fourteen. here's what it says. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And then down verse 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, that is what Scripture calls success. Joshua 1.8. That term often gives us trouble because we tend to associate it with just having a bunch of money in your, bo- in your wallet. Success. Well, no, you can have success in a lot of different areas. So to find maximum fulfillment in life, sometimes it's good to have wise counsel. It's almost always necessary. Thirdly, to help one plan correctly. And this is really important. So many people, you know, they, they look at their life and they're trying to plan things out and they're trying to, 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 you know, give it direction and they don't know which way to go. And they're just crying out to God, God, just show me your will. Why won't you show me your will? And so many times God is saying, well, wait a minute, I already have. <laughs> you just need to look in the word and you do what I've told you to do already. I'll take care of the rest. So to help us plan correctly, in Proverbs 16, 9, it says, the man, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or Proverbs 20, 18 says this, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. See, sometimes our minds get mixed up. There's too many choices on the table. There's, there's too much to focus on. We don't know how to, we're almost paralyzed before all these decisions we have to make. And whenever we're faced with a crucial decision and we have a multiple ways in which we can go, the Bible says it's always wise to bring a counselor and a wise counselor who can maybe simplify your options and help you work out some form of plan of action rather than just have you paralyzed in the fear of the situation. And fourthly, to help one become wise. That's another benefit. Proverbs 12, 5, the thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So you can get counsel from wicked people and they're just, it's deceptive counsel. Or you can get counsel from righteous people. In Proverbs 13, 10, it says, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Sometimes we don't want to take advice, right? I mean, nobody likes to be told what to do. I heard this illustration of a wife bought her husband a, one of those GPS things, and he got it in the car, and, you know, and they're, they're getting it set up, and, and it, it came to a point, it says, well, do you want a male voice or a female voice? And the husband said, no woman's going to be telling me what to do all the time, you know, put the man on there, you know. This is kind of funny how we think. We don't like to be told what to do. Just human behavior. It doesn't matter whether we're male or female. Nobody likes to be told what to do. And if counseling is built on the foundation of Scripture, the counselor can help a confused person, somebody who's just trying to sort things out, see life from God's point of view. And that's very important. And it's not always confined to some private office somewhere. It can occur in a worship setting. It can occur between the pulpit and the pew. It can occur between, you know, uh, Christians talking. All those areas, this kind of counsel can take place. So if you want to benefit from counsel, wise counsel, fit yourself into one of those. Are you, are you, you know, do those, do those things benefit you when people give you counsel? And you can know if it's wise or not. And then thirdly this morning... I wanted to look at what are the ingredients that make some counselors more effective than others. You know, there's just some people that just have an innate ability to counsel people. And there's other people's, people that really don't. They don't have any interest in it. 
They don't have the patience for it. And basically, they're going to give you the bottom line every time. That's not bad, always. Sometimes that's even good. But what makes, more, what makes some counselors more effective than others? See, it's not only the words of counsel that are important. Do you understand that? It's not only the words, but it's also the life of the person speaking those words. That's very key. Anybody can mouth anything. People with heartache need counselors with certain characteristics. The better the person, the better his or her counselor. Uh, here are eight matters that a counselor should tend to in his or her life. And like I said, this doesn't just apply to professional counselors. This applies to all of us, folks, because sooner or later, we're all going to be giving out counsel to some degree or another, whether it's with our spouse, our kids, people in the church, unbelievers even. God may call upon us. So what are these characteristics that make up an effective counselor? First of all, purity of life. Purity of life. It says in Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So who do you want giving you advice? Someone who's stumbling around in the darkness or someone who has their act together and they have a pure heart before God? The answer is kind of obvious. People want to hear not only from one who is, I wouldn't say perfect, but one who is pure, one who's kept short accounts with God. Doesn't mean you're perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But your heart is pure before God as you give out that counsel. One who's faithfully dealt with the sin issues in his or her life. That's very key. People really do not want to go to a dirty vessel when you're looking for a glass of fresh water. I mean, do you go into your kitchen and walk over to the sink and, oh, look at this glass. It's been sitting there for a couple days. <laughs> I think I just want a glass of water. You don't do that. Why would you do that? That's disgusting. You go and you get a clean one or you clean it. You want a pure glass to refresh your body of that water. Same thing with counseling. That's why it's so important as believers that we're, we're constantly looking at our own lives. None of us are perfect. We all sin in a myriad of ways probably each and every day. But do we keep those short accounts with God? When we sin, are we rushing into his presence and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Fill me once again with your spirit and let me move on. Or do we harbor it and we don't go to God and all these things build up and then we feel guilty and pretty soon we're so burdened down with all this muck in our life that we couldn't give somebody counsel if they begged us. Purity of life. Second thing is confidentiality. Confidentiality. Chapter 11, verse 13 says, A talebearer reveals, reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Basic requirement of a good counselor a lot of times is just a shut mouth. He must be able to bury information in his mind. You have to be able at certain points in life to be able to say, you know what, this is loaded with sensitive information and I can't share this. That's a very important aspect of counseling, not only from a legal standpoint, but just from a credibility standpoint. Sometimes we forget that sharing like that can, can cause immeasurable injury. And we, when we talked about the tongue, we talked a little bit about gossip, and we're not going to get into all that today. You can go back and listen to that message. But all counseling is not always confidential. It can't be for the well-being of the person being counseled sometimes. It can't be. So if you're ever talking to somebody and they come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to tell you something, but you've got to promise me right now you can't tell anybody at all, ever. My answer is, well, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. What if they say, I'm going to go kill myself? Well, you promise me you're going to tell anybody. You know, see right there. Can't go there. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now, to close out our time together with a look at our fall schedule, once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I want to share some exciting information with our listening audience concerning our fall schedule here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. First up, we'll be having our fall Israel and Bible Prophecy Conference featuring Bible teacher Dr. David Hawking on November 18th, 19th, and 20th. It will all kick off on Friday, November 18th at 7 p.m. with concert pianist David Talbot leading us in some wonderful hymns here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. The conference is free, so we hope to see you here the weekend right before Thanksgiving. Second on our fall schedule will be a real blessing to our ladies here in the Bay Area. Ladies, we have a real Christmas treat for you coming up on Saturday, December 3rd. We will be hosting a woman's Christmas tea with speaker and author Elise Fitzpatrick. Elise will be teaching from her book, Because He Loves Me, How Christ Transforms Our Daily Life. The tea will be held on Saturday, December 3rd, with seating for the tea beginning at 11 a.m. Our program will begin promptly at 11.30 and will conclude at 2.30 p.m. here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. Cost of registration will be $20 and registration will be required in advance. All the registration information can be found on our church website at gracebibleonline.org. There will be a registration form available online. You simply download it, fill it out, mail it in with your registration to the address given, or you can simply call us here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Thank you, Steve. Until next time, God bless. God bless.